0: So this morning we're going to close out our first you pray uh, series. Uh, we've been talking obviously about prayer. We've been looking at it together and been. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed sharing it with you. Our kind of our main theme verse for our series has been First Thessalonians five sixteen and eighteen. Hopefully by this time in the series you have memorized uh, our 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 scripture, which is mainly you know mainly what we've been focusing on is is uh, seventeen. But We have been looking at all of them and kind of as uh, kind of our theme uh, verse for the series, and it's this always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We've talked about this concept over the last couple of weeks of when Paul wrote this about this idea of never stop praying. It wasn't a situation where we all need to quit our jobs and, and all need to stop doing everything and just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. It's really this idea that, that we're kind of uh, bathed in prayer, that we're saturated in prayer, that, that all that we do is kind of based in that. We've talked about how instead of you know praying last, we need to be praying first and talked about how, how, how it would change your life if basically maybe every morning when you got up the first thing you did was you just began to pray not not you know necessarily get down on your hands and knees and all that sort of stuff but just wake god thank you so much for this day god thank you for allowing me to have this day god help me to honor you this day amen go get in the shower and start your day you know, you get in, the kids are getting ready to go for school. You know, before they go, you can grab them you pull them close. You say, God, I pray that you just be with my kids as they go to school. Today. God, help them to be a light. Help them to share your love with those that they come in contact with. Amen. And you send them off to school. You get into your car. You turn on some, maybe some worship music and you just begin to pray. God, thank you so much for my job. Thank you for my opportunity to, to use this to serve you. And, and just that type of an attitude is what Paul is wanting us to have. It's what he goes on to say, basically, this is God's will. Will for you that your life would just be covered in prayer but we have also talked about that concept that when we understand that that typically we don't pray first typically we pray after and so it's again we've talked about this uh, but it's important that we do it because it would be weird if we didn't finish the series with this but prayer should be our first response not our last resort our first response, not our last resort. And it was interesting this week as I was thinking about uh, the message and, and, and even putting that into the, the notes and things like that for you and things. I was kind of looking at that again and I kind of remembered um, the concept of maybe like a first responder. You know, you've heard a lot about that. You know, we've heard a lot about first responders, those people that, that when something goes down, whether it's, you know, if it's bad or uh, an accident or something, they're the first people in. And in a lot of ways, that's what prayer needs to be. Not just when it becomes a situation where it's like a problem, but in all our areas of our lives. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about the template that Jesus has given us in Luke 11, as far as what prayer can be and kind of how to follow that template. We talked about how the disciples came to Jesus and basically said, hey, teach us to pray. And how that we sometimes think that, hey, when we get saved automatically, we're going to, have to know how to pray, and it just doesn't work like that. The disciples didn't understand. And so they went to Jesus and say, hey, will you teach us to pray? And again, those guys had prayed their whole lives. But the way Jesus prayed, they went, you know, I don't pray like that. I'm, there, there's, there's something missing in my prayer life that Jesus had that I want. And so they asked Jesus to teach them. And so we talked about some of those things. But this morning what we're going to do is we kind of bring this all to a close. We're going to kind of continue on with Luke to see some other things that Jesus said about prayer, even in that in that 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 time frame in the context of Jesus basically giving them what a lot of people call the Lord's prayer, and like we've talked about, like I kind of like to call it the Disciples' prayer. So we're going to be in Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, just be ready in Luke, and we're going to look at some different verses and some different things that that I believe that. God wants us to see and understand about prayer as we kind of put a bow on this series. But before we jump into Luke 11, let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you so much for this time. God, I pray that as we share these, as I share these these things that you've placed on my heart, that God, that you would just open our hearts to understand. That God, that you would help me that my words would cease and that yours would begin. Because God, that's what we need. We need your words to change us and to help us in these areas. God, I pray that just like the disciples thousands of years ago said, teach us to pray. That today, Lord, no matter if we have prayed for 50, 60 years, or we've just started in this journey with you, that God, that today you would teach us again to pray. Help us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles or electronic, turn them on, whatever you need to do, we're going to be in Luke 11. Now, in Luke 11, the verses 1 through 4, those are the ones we've talked about before, where Jesus basically gives us uh, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, but he continues on starting with verse number 5. So we're going to look at this together. He's going to give basically three sections or three ideas that we need to look at, and then uh, what we're going to do is this. Jesus is going to begin to build a point here that we're going to focus in on this morning. Now, we're not going to finish that point just in Luke 11. Then we're going to jump into Luke 18 to kind of see how this kind of point kind of fleshes itself out. But he starts here in Luke 11. So in Luke 11, verse number five, he starts this. And this is what he says. This is immediately following after the Lord's prayer. He says, then teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. So this story is about prayer. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake... If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Okay, now let's remember. This is a story about prayer. This is a parable about prayer. What's happening in the story? Very quickly. Basically, you you get to be kind of a part of this story in this. And so he says, you are a guy, and you have some friends that just show up kind of in the middle of the night. It's midnight. It's dark. It's late. And, and just remember, at this time, you couldn't just hey, um, it's late. Well, let's let's go grab something to eat at, at you know wherever, or go to, to King Supers or whatever and grab a little something. There wasn't anything for you to eat. And so he gets these vi- visitors kind of out of the blue. He doesn't know they're coming, and so he goes over to his neighbor's house and he begins knocking on the door. He says, Hey, listen, I need some help. I need some bread. And the guy, the neighbor, says, What what are you doing? It's midnight. Everybody's in bed. Leave me alone. I love here how the scripture says, Don't bother me. Okay? Don't bother me. I'm in bed. The kids finally got laid down. I mean, you know, like, this is not a good time. And Jesus says, listen, it's interesting here. He says, he says, I tell you this. He said, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, meaning he won't do it because he's your friend. He won't do it because he loves you, basically. He won't do it for any of those reasons. And he says, if you keep on knocking, he'll do it. And he'll do it because of shameless persistence. Okay? So just just imagine this picture. Okay? It's night. It's late. Somebody shows up. And then you're not expecting that to happen. What do you do? How do you handle it? You go over to your neighbors. And you ready? Hey, I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. Is this annoying yet? Half the church is now left. Okay, great. Awesome. Those who are online are like, I'm out you know what that reminds me of? How many of you, don't raise your hand, just think, have a small human being living in your home? You know, that that reminds me of, of, of children a little bit. And here's the other thing about children. You know, not only are they persistent, they're shamelessly persistent. You know? Like, have you ever done this, like, where you, you know, where you have maybe a multiple children? You know, like, like a, this, this is a weird way to put it. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I understand about shameless persistence in children. Oh, no, they're youth. No. They're just older children. I don't mean that negative, because I say the thing about adults at times, you know. We're just older children at times. And I remember, like, I would do something, or one group would do something, Pastor Aaron, 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 I'd like, I'm going to quit. And eventually it was just, just, just here, just, 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 just in, in the most loving, godly, pastorally way I could muster, just shut up, but here. And here's the other thing about the story. When does the individual show up? It's not at an opportune time, is it? You know, like, like at least most adults have the concept, like, you know, there's, there's a good time to do this and a bad time to do this. A child, it's when there's a need, the need needs to be met. The child just says, it doesn't matter that it's midnight. It doesn't matter that it's going on. I need this need met in my life. And they don't give up. They keep on asking. They keep on knocking. They keep on saying, will you do this? And basically Jesus says, listen, this is going to happen. Whatever you need is going to be given to you because of your shameless persistence. Now, here's the deal. Let's keep reading here because I think we need to look at the full context of what Jesus is saying. So let's continue now. Luke 11, 9 through 10. So let's just keep reading, okay? Starting with verse number 9. He says, And so I tell you, after telling the story, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. If you have a highlighter, if you have a pen, if you have a way to do this on your phone, do this for me. I want you to highlight something that probably you've never highlighted before. Most of you have highlighted that concept of seeking and asking and knocking and all those things. I want you to highlight the word everyone. Everyone. Because that's a very important part in verse 10. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. That word everyone, we've talked about this before, and I'm glad you're sitting down because I know this is a, a very deep concept. The word everyone, and I'll even do this, ready for this? This is really cool. The word everyone in the original Greek means everyone. You say, Aaron, I get it. That's, you, you know, I don't know if we do at times. Because at times, we say things like this. I don't know if God will hear my prayer. I have done too much. I have sinned too much. I have not lived the way I should. To, I, I, and, and we forget the word everyone means everyone. Listen, Jesus here is helping you understand something very simple, but very profound. When you seek, you will find everyone. When you knock, the door will be open. Now here's what happens, and a lot of times we miss this point. He doesn't say when, does he? He says if you seek, you'll find. But he doesn't say when you'll find. But he does say you will find. And here's what I know I've done in my life. I have seeked and I have not found, and I have given up. And I have not found, not because God's word is not true, and not because I could not have found it. It's because I didn't seek long enough. Sometimes God will say, hey, you know what? You seek, you find quick. And those are great times. I love those times. Other times God says, I need you to seek me a little bit more. And that's not because God is holding out on you. That's not because God arbitra, I can't say the word. You know what I'm trying to say. is not basically doing that just because. Arbitrarily, got it, sort of, he's doing it for a purpose and a plan for your good. Sometimes God says, I need you to seek a little bit more because I want to reveal something a little bit deeper. And that's so important. But listen, everyone who seeks, everyone that knocks, every, you're going to find. You're going you're to you're have the door open to you. Everyone. So he's just talked about this concept of, of shameless persistence. He's talked about the fact that you keep knocking, you keep going after it, you are going to be answered. And then he goes one step further to kind of, again, help us to see this point that he's trying to make about prayer. So look at this, Luke 11. Now let's just keep going. 11, 11 through 13. He says, your father, you fathers, if, you, if your children ask for a fish do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? He says, of course not. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? Beautiful verse, amazing verse, a lot of unbelievable promises in there. But notice also what Jesus has done. Jesus has gone one step further. He's kind of given us a little bit of a parable or a little bit of a metaphor here. And he's helped us to see, listen, if you earthly fathers do this, how much more will your heavenly father do this? And he also brings us into the understanding that in this story or in this idea, we are children. So we see this idea of shameless persistence that we see a lot of times in children. We see also in children this idea of continuing on, continuing to seek, continuing to search, continuing to, to knock. And then God or Jesus takes it one step further and he says, listen, I'm going to help you understand this even more as God the Father as being your father and you being his child. So this is interesting. In the context of prayer... In the story, when Jesus says back, all the way back in verse 5, when he says, I'm going to teach you more about prayer, he uses several illustrations that help us see who we are and who God is. And I think Jesus takes it even one step further. So we're going to continue on here, and we're going to jump into Luke 18. Now, what we're going to do in Luke 18, the context of Luke 18, again, is prayer. Jesus, again, is teaching a little bit about prayer. We're going to jump a little bit further into Luke 18, and then we're going to jump back uh, in, in Luke 18. But we're going to be pretty much in Luke 18 the rest of the time. So look here, okay? This is important. Luke, Luke 18, 15 through 17. It says This is what it says. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when his disciples saw this... They scolded parents for bothering him. Let's go on to verse 16. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Okay? We've heard this story before, but let's 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 look at this a little bit deeper. Let the children come to me, don't stop them. Listen here what it says. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children okay, like these children. Now, now here's, here's, I want you to understand something here, okay? The context of the idea of children here is a little bit different, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, maybe I shouldn't say that, than what it is today, okay? I have seen things where there are certain people that want to make children anybody under the age of 21. That is not how this worked during Jesus's time, in this idea of, idea of children, what this is about is basically a child was anything roughly, basically, a lot of times under the age of 10. Okay? Because once, there was no, they didn't have a concept of, the, of what we have today called the teenager. Okay? So children were very young at this time. So these are young children that are being brought to jesus and jesus says listen bring them let them come and so he says i tell you he says that basically those uh, are, who are like these children that's who's going to understand and get the kingdom of god he says let's continue on here let's jump back randy if we could i didn't finish um there you go perfect he says i tell you the truth anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of god like a child will never enter it now, listen, this is some serious stuff here, folks. Jesus isn't playing, if this makes sense, in this, in this scripture. He's saying, listen, if you are not like one of these children, you are not going to enter into the kingdom. This is big. Now, listen to what we say. You know, I, I don't want to get into this too much because I think we understand the concept here. He said, childlike, not childish." There's a big difference. okay. God's called us to be childlike, not childish. If you don't know the difference between childlike and childish, come talk to me afterwards. We can talk about it, but I think you know. okay. And we're going to look a little bit deeper here in a minute about what childlike is really like in this context. So here's the question I have. After we've read all these things, after we've looked at Luke and Luke Luke 11 and Luke 18 the question is what point is Jesus trying to make here in regards to prayer because remember the context that we're seeing in these scriptures are prayer contexts Jesus said, I'm going to teach you more about prayer. Luke 18 basically begins with basically Jesus says to his disciples a story to show they should always pray and never give up. Once again, this idea of that shameless persistence. We're going to look at again in just a little bit about another story earlier in Luke 18 about prayer. What do we want to do? What does God want us to get here? What is Jesus trying to get us to understand? As we close out this series, how do we understand? this how do we approach God how do we allow this to change the way we understand prayer and how we pray and I think it's simply this as we approach God in prayer we need to have the humility of a child now you can come to God and you can pray and here's the deal God hears those prayers but I think if we want to be taught how to pray the way Jesus was praying and the way that Jesus wants us to pray, we need to understand and have the humility of a child. Now, what does that mean? Okay, what, what, what do I mean when I say that? Well, I found this quote from Michael Wilkins uh, in one of my commentaries. He, he writes a commentaries, um, awesome, awesome commentaries, and he said it better than I ever could. And so I just quoted him, and it's in your notes, it's going to be up on the screen, this is what it says. Listen to what he says. The humility of a child consists of basically these things, of childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or her own causes apart from help, directions, and the resources of the parent. Man, I wish I had written that. That's good. When God says, when Jesus says, listen, when you're the child and I'm the father and you come to me and you ask for something, you know, when you come, this is how you approach. This is how you come to me in this idea of prayer. He continues that that understanding in Luke 18 when he says basically, listen, if you don't come like one of these children, if you're not like them, you're not going to enter the kingdom. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to fully grasp it. And so he says this. He says, humility is like childlike trust vulnerability and the inability to advance her his or her own cause apart from help from the parent i love that there's so much good just amazing insight in that you know how 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 does god want us to approach him how does god want us to come in prayer now listen listen to what this doesn't say we've talked a little bit about this it doesn't say groveling it doesn't say, oh, God, God, I, 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 I'm just, you know, God, I'm, I'm just, boo. It doesn't say, God, if you have time. How many, I've heard that so many times. You know, God's got more important things to do than worry about me. Because here's the thing. Not only when you talk about a child, a child not only has that humility, but that child understands that if I go to somebody greater than me, My need's going to get met. There's a trust in that. There's a vulnerability in that because it acknowledges that I can't do it on my own. There's an inability on our own part to to advance what we want to see happen in our lives. And so we know there's nothing else. There's no one else that can help us except for the help, direction, and resources of the parent. Which is a great father that we have. So here's the deal. Jesus still wants to point us to this fact. He still wants us to understand. So again, he's been unpacking this all the way back in Luke 11. Now he's gone into Luke 18, and he's still kind of letting us see this. So Jesus, again, again, the context here is prayer. Now Luke 18, verses 9 through 12, we see Jesus once again. Now this is right before the children come he tells another story. So let's continue on and let's look here. So it says, Then Jesus, starting with verse 9, Luke 18, 9, Then Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Now, this is for free. This is not really a part of the message to an extent, even though it's a part of the message but it's interesting that in this scripture we see something that happens quite a bit. When you focus on your own righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ, you know what typically is the result of that? You score on everybody else. Jesus is basically saying, listen, if you are relying on your own strength, in your own righteousness, in your own things, you know what? You're going to look and you're going to score on other people. And that's not what God's called us to do. You know, like, look, I know this is a weird way to put it. I guarantee you, every single one of you, you can find somebody worse than you are. That's not hard. I've heard it so many times in my ministry. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I haven't, listen, it's not about your righteousness versus everybody else's. Everybody's righteousness is like dirty rags. It's about accepting the righteousness of God. It's coming to Jesus in that humility that says, you know what, I I can't do this without you. I can't, my stuff isn't good enough. I need you. And so listen, it's way, it's real easy. If you find in your life that you are constantly comparing and scoring others because you look at them as less than you, you're relying on your own righteousness, your own works, and that's not what God's called us to do. Let's move on. Verse number 10. It says, Two men went into the temple to guess what? To pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin and I don't commit adultery. Good thing he didn't say lie, because he just did. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. This is the Pharisee's prayer. What a prayer. I mean, what? I mean, like, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I listen, I'm a firm believer that God is funnier than we are. Okay? I am. Because God is joy. And joy is laughter a lot of times. And I think God laughs more than we ever will. I think we're going to be blown away when we meet God and we realize how joyful he really is. It's going to be awesome. And listen, if there's a time where God's laughing out in heaven, it's at this prayer. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing great. I mean, in his prayer, he says, I don't sin. And guess what he just did? Boy, we're as human beings, aren't we? I mean, this is his prayer. So Jesus is telling this story. Now let's continue. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, "Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now I want you understand a little bit of the context of what jesus just said here i'm going to take you back into a little bit of the original greek we're not going to get into the words but we're just going to kind of understand a little bit more what this is saying and where the translation came from this idea you know because you hear this idea of kind of beating his breast and we kind of oh boy that's a very um, you know like like we kind of get this view of that it's kind of not quite probably what um jesus was wanting the, his hearers then or now to understand you know, a lot of times when we see somebody beating their breast, it's kind of this idea of kind of this, yeah, I would do it, but the mic would really be loud. You know, that's not really what basically we see in the word. The word kind of that we use to translate that idea of beating the breast is more of kind of this type of an action. It's a continual beating, but it's not. It's kind of this idea or this concept where he's basically communicating to God, God, my heart is broken. And not only my heart is broken, like it's broken because of my sin, but it's broken, um, you know, and and I need you to fix it. In a lot of ways, what this guy is saying, again, I could get you, I could show you if if you want to know later, we can look at it a little more in depth. But basically what these words are communicating is basically what this man is asking for is the atoning work of God in his heart. Okay, this is huge. Because what happens later in the verse doesn't make sense unless you understand his prayer. And so he's basically sitting there and he's kind of doing this. If you remember, scripture is very clear here. It, he won't even look up. So he's doing one of these numbers. He's kind of in the corner. And he's just kind of going, God, have mercy on me. God, my heart is wicked. My heart is not clean. And God, I need your atoning work in my heart and in my life because I'm a sinner. I don't know you. He's far from God in this. It's a beautiful picture. And so he's sitting there and he's sitting there in the corner. And in one case, you see this concept of childlike humility. And in the other, you see, I'm sorry, because I'll, I'll say it because I'm an adult too. Adult-like pride. And Jesus uses this as an example. And we're going to look at it a little bit deeper to kind of close out this message in this series. It says, listen, this in your notes. It's on the back page. In this parable, both men prayed, but both men did not come to God in the same way. Okay. Let's look at this, break it down together. Number one, number one, the Pharisee trusted himself. The tax collector trusted the mercy and compassion of God. The Pharisee said, look, look at me. Look at me. Listen, if you look at the, this, the prayer that he prayed, basically the word I or I'm is used five times. I this, I that, I'm this, I'm not that. I'm I, 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 I. He trusted in his own ability, what he had done, what he brought to the table. Look at me, God. Basically, in some ways, you know what he was basically saying? God, you are so lucky to have a guy like me. But the tax collector... He said, you know who I am? You know he uses the word I? He says, I'm a sinner. He says, I can't do it on my own. Remember that idea of beating the chest, that idea of beating the heart. My heart is desperately wicked, just like it says in the Old Testament. He says, I need something greater than myself. And he trusted that. He trusted that. Where the Pharisee trusted in his own works and his own abilities and his own understandings, the tax collector simply trusted the mercy and compassion of God. Listen, you, listen. Th- there are things in this world that you can trust, but there is nothing more trustworthy than our God. Nothing. Nothing. And this man said, no, I am going to trust in Him. Not in what I bring to the table, but what he will bring to the table. So he says there, God, I'm going to trust. Isn't it interesting that as we go back and understand what childlike faith is, the first one we talked about was this idea of trust. Here it is. The Pharisee trusts himself. Let's continue. Number two, the Pharisee compares himself with others and the tax collector took responsibility for himself. What's the Pharisee say? I mean, he's, he's so proud and so full of himself that he's looking around like, oh, let me see. I want to make sure as I'm praying that I can make sure I can see all the people I'm better than. Better than her. I'm better than him. I'm better than them." And God, just so you know, just in case you weren't aware, I'm going to let you know about it. I mean, the, I mean, the guy looks at the... I've always felt, I've always felt horrible for the tax collector. You know? I mean... The guy's like, oh, and God, I'm so great. Boy, I'm I'm so much better than this guy. He doesn't take responsibility for his own actions. He's so blinded by his pride. He's so blinded by who he thinks he is that he doesn't even understand that he just sinned when he said he never sinned. You see, here's the thing that pride can do. Pride will blind you. Pride will keep you from understanding that basically, you know, there are things in your heart that God wants to fix. There are things in your heart that God wants to bring forth and heal. And I've seen it over and over and over and over again. When you focus on others, you do it in sometimes in some ways so you don't have to focus on your own heart and what God wants to do there. But you know what? The tax collector didn't do that. The tax collector took responsibility for himself. He said, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I can't do it alone. He was vulnerable before God. He didn't act like he had it all together because he knew he didn't. And here's the thing, whether the Pharisee knew it or not, he didn't either. You know, listen, I've said this before and I think it's just It's so simple, but it's like, why I don't do it, I don't know. Why sometimes you don't do it, I don't know. But it's like, we won't be vulnerable to God because we think we can fool him. Like, he doesn't already know. Listen, I know sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable with people. I get that. I I, I know that. But to have a childlike attitude in prayer, we have to be willing to be vulnerable before our God. And guess what? He's trustworthy in that. And he knows it anyway. You know, if your prayer life, here, hear me here. If your prayer life is a prayer life of lies, you don't have to do that with our God. He loves you. He's faithful. He loves you, and he wants you to come to him with an open heart that says, you know what, God? I don't have all my stuff together. It's okay. It's okay. But the Pharisee wouldn't do that. He wouldn't come with vulnerability. And instead, he would focus on everybody else and all their issues and miss what God wanted to do in his own heart. Because here's the thing in this story. I know it's a story. I know it's a parable. But here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus and the Lord wanted to heal the Pharisee's heart just as much as he wanted to heal the tax collector's heart. Number three. The Pharisee relied on his own power and his deeds, and the tax collector could only rely on God. It's interesting that he ends his prayer by talking about how much he fasts and how much he gives. Now listen, is it good to give? Absolutely. Is it good to fast? Absolutely. But look in the context that he's doing it in. He's doing it in a way that basically says, see, this proves that I'm better than everybody else. Not only do I not sin, not only do I do all these things and, 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 and you know, I don't commit adultery, I don't cheat, but, but, but I do all these other things. You know, it's really interesting because we see that so many times in the lives of people. You know, I don't need Jesus. Why don't you need Jesus? Well, I'm not a bad person. Look at all the nice things I do. I, I, I help people. I do all these things. The tax collector... Can only rely on God. You see, he realizes, you know what? Here's the deal. No matter how bad this tax collector was, I bet you he did some good things. I mean, you know, I think everybody does some decent things. But you know what? Tax collector didn't sit there and say, Yeah, I know I kind of messed up in these areas, but you know what? I, I did okay here. He simply just said, you know what, God, I'm a sinner. I I I can't, I have an inability. To once again, fix my heart. I have an inability to get the atonement that I need for my heart. I can't do it alone. God, I totally and completely rely on you. Listen, there is something very, 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 very powerful about the, you know, we talk about this, you know, the the prayer of a righteous person is is powerful and effective. There's something very powerful and effective, hear me here, about the prayer that comes from a child who says, God, without you, I can't do anything. We talked about it last week in John, that idea of seeing in the vine, and, and apart from that vine, we can do nothing. In that, there is something so powerful. Because there's something, listen, there is something very, very powerful in the spirit world in the concept of releasing. Okay? Do you, do you understand that? Like, like we, we have a very hard time in our world today, and I really believe this is an attack of the enemy, okay? Um, and, and especially in Western culture. We want to grab everything and hold it, Okay? So that way, that way I have it and Zach doesn't, you know, because Zach, Zach will take it from me. So I've got to hold everything close, very, very close. I have to hold my ministry very, very close. I have to hold my job very, very close. I have to hold this thing very, very close. I have to hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, and I'm, mm, no, 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 no. Not going to let go. And what we don't understand is when we're doing that, we're not only holding it close away from others, we're also holding it away from God because we're saying, I can handle this, I can do it, I'm on my own. God, I don't need you in this area of my life. I'm going to hold on to it. I got it. There's something very powerful about going to our Father in prayer and releasing, releasing. And in this concept, what's the Pharisee doing? He's holding on to his works He's holding on to his knowledge. He's holding on to his, I'm better than everyone else. And the tax collector is basically saying, God, this is all I am. It's all yours because I can't do it on my own. One of the biggest lies that the enemy tells, hear me here, because this is is counterintuitive to what our world says and our culture says. One of the biggest lies the enemy will tell you is you can do it on your own. You cannot. You were never created to do it on your own. If you could do it on your own, we would have no reason to celebrate Easter because we would have no reason for Jesus to come. You can't. A little child does not come to you and say things like this, don't worry mom and dad, I can run to the store. I can get in the car and drive myself. Don't worry, I have the money to pay for the groceries. I can take care of that. Don't worry, mom and dad. I got the debit card. I'm good. I know how to work everything. I know how to get everything. Don't worry, I can climb the shelves to get the soup on the highest shelf. I got it. They don't do that. Why? Because they realize, whether they understand it in this way or not, they, have, they do not have the ability to do that. But guess what? They need food just as much as anybody else. So what do they do? Mom, Dad, I need this for my lunch, or I need this, or Mom, Dad, can I have, and, and what, what does that say? It says, I don't have the ability to even feed myself, but I'm trusting you and I'm giving it over to you that you will take care of me. So powerful. And then you go back to what John, or Jesus said in, in verse 11. If, 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 if you as earthly parents would not do horrible things, how much more? How much more will God take care of you? How much more? And Jesus, I love this. Jesus gives the example of the Holy Spirit as the gift You know why he does that? Because I think the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts that he gives us. Jesus even tells us that. He says, it's good that I go away because the Holy Spirit will come. I think he does that for many reasons, but one of them, especially in the context of this morning, is he's basically saying this. Listen, if I'll give you the Holy Spirit, I'll give you everything else. It's like God says, listen, if I give you my son, you think I'm going to withhold something from you? I gave you everything. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He's like, if I give you the Holy Spirit, how much more? How much more will all these other things be given to you? So let's see how Jesus concludes the story. Luke 18, 14. This is what he says. He says, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Now, I want you to be fair. I know I've had you underline a couple of things today. Underline the word justified. We're going to go back to that in just a minute. Justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the next we see is the story of the children that we read earlier. I, I love that word justified. I went and I looked back to see kind of what that word is, is is meaning, and what that word really kind of comes back. I went back to the original Greek and saw some other areas where it was used in scripture. And really in the most simple terms, um, and we could kind of get more detail. but really the simple term, the thing that I thought was really good was, was basically this concept that we're justified kind of means made right. I love that. That God, listen, that God made it all right. You know what's beautiful about a child? You know when a child comes and they bring needs or bring these things, you know what they're really saying in some ways? Dad, will you make it all right? Dad, will you make it all right? We're born with this concept of right and wrong. It's there. It's ingrained in us. It's the way we were created. And one of the issues that mankind has and has for the centuries is this idea of wrong versus right and trying to find out what that means and how to understand that. And you know what? God's Word is the Word that shows us what's right and wrong. It's what helps us understand God is the one who defines what's right and wrong, what's truth from a lie. And for so many of us, what we're desiring, what we need in our hearts, in our lives, we pull it all away. It's simply this, God, will you make it right Our bodies are breaking down. There's issues in our health. And we basically pray, God, will you heal me? You know what we're praying? God, make it right. When we come to him and we beat our chest and we say, there's something so wrong and wicked in my heart. God, will you come? Will you cleanse me? Will you make me new? You know what we're praying? Jesus, make it right. When we have relationships that break down and are destroyed, that have issues, and we pray, God, bring forth restoration. God, bring forth help in these areas. You know what we're praying for? We're saying, God, make it right. Make it right. The man who walked away and was made, everything was made right, was not the Pharisee, was not the man that we look at and go, wow, look at Mr. Spiritual. It was the man who instead stood in the corner, wouldn't even look up and did this, oh, Father, oh, God, will you heal? Will you make me right? And what's Jesus say? He was made right. Listen, essentially, the Pharisee saw prayer and his spiritual life as a way to be exalted, but the tax collector approached God in childlike humility. Over this series, we've looked at several different things. We've looked at this amazing template that Jesus gave us as far as prayer. We looked at all these things, you know, and I hope that throughout this you've learned, you know what, it, it, we, we need to learn to pray. And you know, it's okay to, that we're not, quote, unquote, you know, this, the greatest prayers, I guess, that's a weird way to put it, in the world. But in a lot of ways, when you strip it all away, once again, we come to this kind of theme that we see. And basically, it was this, the Pharisee, and we see this in Scripture quite a bit. The Pharisee had a heart and a prayer life and a spiritual life that was far away from God. And it's interesting that that concept, once we, again, you know, we understand that idea of beating the chest what that is picturing is just beating the heart. It's acknowledging the heart. Listen, prayer is not about the right words. Yeah, there's a template, and it's great to follow that to help us. But again, we talked about this earlier. I don't believe that Jesus gave us the disciples or the Lord's Prayer for us to simply repeat it as a chant and be done. That's not how Jesus prayed. I don't believe that's how he wants us to pray. It's a template. It's to help us to kind of follow the pattern and the outline, to help us in that. It's not about the words. It's not about the length. It's not about how, you know, I use simple words, I use big words, I I do this or I do that. Would you really strip it all away? It's about the heart. You see, there's something important about having a heart for prayer. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week where we talked about this concept of of prayer starts as a discipline, but shouldn't stay there. And if you want to have the desire for prayer, if you want to pray the way God has called us to pray, it starts with your heart. And so this morning as we close this series on prayer, knowing that every single one of us can grow in this area, we're going to pray that God will just simply give us a heart for prayer. That if there's areas in our heart that needs to be dealt with, if we, like that sinner, kind of go, you know what, God, there's some atonement that needs to take place in this heart, that we'll pray for that. But that we'll stop worrying so much about the right words. We'll stop worrying so much about maybe what others might think and instead let him transform this. Because here's what I've learned. I've heard a lot of prayers in my life. I've prayed a lot of prayers in my life. And I'll be honest with you, it's pretty easy to hear or know a prayer that comes from somebody's heart than it just simply comes from a religious exercise. And I think more than anything, if we can be taught to pray like Jesus. Jesus prayed from his heart. And I think he's calling us to do the same. So let's do this. Let's close our eyes. Let's let's pray. Let's acknowledge that we trust God, that he can give us a heart for prayer. Let's let's be vulnerable in his presence realizing that our hearts are not where they probably need to be in regards to prayer. And let's admit our inability to fix our own hearts, but instead rely on our parent who has the power and authority to give us a new heart for prayer. Okay, we do that. So Jesus, Father, we come to you right now. And God, we just ask, God, first of all, we come to you as best we can as a child. Not childish, but childlike. And we come as a child basically expecting. Not expecting because we are owed something, but we are expectant because we know who our father is, who is good and powerful and strong. We know, Father, what Jesus said about you, which is, you know, if if our earthly parents give us good gifts, how much more will you? And so we come to you with, with expectations. Not not requirements, but an expectation that you will do powerful, life-changing things in us. And so Jesus, we come to you and we trust that you want to change our hearts. That you want to change this heart and make it a heart that is desiring of prayer. It's desiring of that communication. It's desiring basically of you. And God, we acknowledge that our hearts are not usually there. Our hearts get filled with other things. We get focused on other things. And we don't necessarily put prayer in the first place that it needs to be. We we pray later. We don't pray first. And we're sorry, God, that we have put other things that are less important over our talking and our communication with you. And Father, we also say that we know as much as we wish we could fix it, we cannot. We need you to help us here. We can't do this without you. But Father, because we have that trust, we know that you will. And so Father, right now, we're seeking. God, right now we're asking. And right now, God, we're knocking. And what we're seeking and knocking and asking for is a heart of prayer, a heart that desires you. And Father, we acknowledge that without your help, we can't. We need you here. And we know you'll do this. And so, Father, we're asking, we're knocking, we're seeking you. Open those doors. Give us those answers. Help us to find a heart that is more like you. You're so good. You're so good. And we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the last several weeks as we have spent this time drawing close to you in this area of our lives. God, I pray that, even though the series, quote unquote, is ending, that this would just be a springboard, a new start for every individual here, every individual online, that their prayer life will be transformed. Not transformed by, oh, I learned the, the new fancy way to pray, or no, not transformed if I, if I say the magic words, then this happens. But no, Lord, transformed in the way our heart understands prayer. Help us, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, listen, love you. Hope that you have a wonderful week. Just as a quick reminder, okay? Uh, Next week is our annual potluck and business meeting. Please make plans to be here. If you haven't signed signed up in the foyer, please do that before you leave. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week and we'll see you next Sunday.